So God, we just turn our eyes on you. Thank you for the words of that old hymn that just remind us of the greatness of God, that everything else will fall dim, that if we stay focused on what's truly important. And God, in these moments today, you would just make yourself evident to us in a way that's uh, unusual, God, and undeniable in a way that just speaks to our hearts. Lord, I pray that we walk away transformed in ways that we never would have dreamed of or imagined. God, we're just grateful for this opportunity to worship, to hear from your word. God, to pray, to be together, and just to block out distractions of a busy world. God, to block out our to-do lists and all the things that need to happen. And God, that we just have these moments to focus our attention on the one who created us and gave us life, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Thank you, guys. You guys grab a seat. Come on. Don't you love some of those old hymns? Let's go. Oh, that wasn't very strong. We'll never sing another one. What in the world? Come on. You had no idea how hard I had to work for that. Let's go. No, but so, hey, so grateful that you're here today. Man, we're in this series just called Made for This, talking about created on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose. And uh, before, and Joey's done an amazing job on the first two weeks, hadn't he? Let's go. And so um, before I get into that, just a quick commercial break. You know, next week, as we talked about, we're going to celebrate the 20th uh, birthday of Stone Creek Church. And uh, it's a big deal. Come on. How many of you guys have been here more than 15 years? More than 15. Yeah, look around. You got some people who aren't as old as they'd like to think, right? I mean, um, but listen, we're going to have an opportunity to just kind of reflect back on all that God has done. And, and, it, and it will be an awesome time. But even more than that, more than looking back on it, what I'm most excited about, almost ex- excited as Christmas and Easter, actually more excited than Christmas and Easter. I'm so excited about the vision that we'll be able to share with you about where we're going and the things that God has laid in front of us uh, to take new ground. And there are some incredible things that we're going to be initiating to reach people in our community, in the city of Atlanta, and around the world. And so we need you to be a part of that. You don't want to miss it. It is a vision that we believe is so strong and so big um, that God has given us. It's going to take all of us to lock arms to be able to move the ball down the field because we want to be able to tell more stories of life change and transformation. So you do not want to miss it. So grab somebody that you know, somebody that you don't know, and show up here next Sunday and uh, so that we can just celebrate but also vision and look into the future beyond what God has already done for us. And so as we, he he didn't want to come next week. Um, He's like, I don't want to go back, Dad. Um, So uh, as we look at this idea of made on purpose, made for a purpose, with a purpose, on purpose, like, like we all want purpose. And there's something in all of us that wants to know that our life mattered, that we had influence, that we had impact. And I want you to think about probably when your parents were, um, uh, you know, just found out that they were going to have you, probably they had some thoughts and dreams about what you become. Don't you think? Like, how how about some of you guys, maybe you were parents and when you found out that you were going to have a child, you had thoughts and dreams of what it would be like, what your child would accomplish. Like, I can remember when, you know, the first time that I found out that, you know, the first child that we have, we have for the first one that was going to come, I was like, God, help them to be rich. That was my big dream for them to take care of us in our old age. I can remember Debbie and I praying for that specifically. We're still waiting. But, you know, <laughs> but we all have dreams. It's why we name our kids the things that we name them, because we have dreams. And, and we all grow up kind of trying to answer this question, what do I want to be when I grow up, right? What do I want to be when I grow up? And I don't know if that ever stops. How many of you are over 40 and you're asking yourself, what do I want to be when I grow up, right? I mean, I think we all have that. 
And so what do I want to be when I grow up? And, and we have these dreams as a kid. I can remember as a kid, there was a few things I wanted to be. I was remembering this last night, watching the NBA Skills Challenge. And I can remember being in my bedroom with a Nerf hoop. Any Nerf hoop fans in the house? Had that Nerf hoop, and it was always three seconds to go. We were down by one, game seven of the NBA championship, and I was shooting free throws for us to win the championship. And if I missed, there was always a lane violation. I got to shoot again, right? I mean... <laughs> always just wanted to be an NBA player. I wanted to be an astronaut for some crazy reason. I don't even know why. I think because I had a $6 million man action figure. And to me, that was like an astronaut. And then I wanted to be a stuntman. I wanted to be a stuntman in Hollywood. Anybody grow up wanting to be a stuntman? Until you realize bones break, right? And then it was over. Um, I would ride my bike, do wheelies, have wrecks, all those kind of things. I learned how to roll so I didn't hurt myself. Because we grow up trying to answer this question, right? What is it, what is it that we want to be when we grow up? What is it that we want to do? Now, now, now what we want to do and what we want to be is clearly an important question. But we, we can't negate that. But, but the truth is, the what that we experience through life changes so frequently, doesn't it? There's got to be a way that I can still have purpose even in the midst of changes. You know, the average American will have 10 jobs, double digits, 10 jobs by the time they're 40. Now, some of those are jobs maybe that you had in high school. Maybe, you know, maybe it was at a Chick-fil-A or McDonald's or something that they kind of gave you an entry-level job. But then you go on and you change careers. The average college student will change majors three times. How many of you parents have paid for three times of, of major changes? Like there's so many changes and I think we all know life never really goes according to plan. There's that old saying that says that life is what happens while you're making other plans, actually. We know that things happen in life. We hit speed bumps and roadblocks and detours in life. And what is it that we need to be asking so that those things don't, don't untether us from our purpose? See, the question we have to ask is not just what do I want to be, but why am I here? Why did God create me? Why do I have breath in my lungs? Why do I have the life that I have? That's a bigger question than the what question because the why will follow you throughout your life no matter how the what will change. You know, Simon Sinek kind of made this idea of why popular. You know, he has obviously a TED talk called Start With Why. He has a book called Start With Why and gives talks around the importance of why because for companies to change the world, they find their why. They never lose their why. So for instance, you have Apple and Apple, you know, they, you know what, what is it that they do? Do they make computers or phones or just cool boxes? Like what is, it, what is it that Apple does? Well, they create tools for the mind that benefit humankind. That's what they do. They create tools for the mind that benefit humankind. And that translates to a phone, to a computer, and to whatever else they would create. What about Disney? Disney's another one. Disney, um, now, what, what, are they an animation company? Do they run theme parks? Do they just have a TV station? What is Disney? Well, Disney's vision, their why? Tell great stories. Tell great stories. See, when a company finds their why, they find their purpose. And it never loses, it never leaves them. But, with, but if they know if they lose their why, they lose their way. How many of you heard of a company called AOL? Anybody? Like back when AOL was founded, it was the next behemoth, it was Google, it was Facebook. And somehow over the course of time, they lost their why and they lost their way. So some of you, you had an AOL uh, email address and when you got it, you were cutting edge. And today, if you still have it, you are old. Because <laughs> when you lose, when, listen, when you lose your why, you lose your way. 
And we need a why so powerful. We need a why so big. We need a why so inspiring and compelling that it carries us no matter what may come our way. So this is what we want to talk about today. Like, you're created for a purpose. What is that why that we all need to buy into? Listen, let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. Um, this is a, a part of the Bible. If you have a Bible, you can open right to the middle and kind of thumb your way there. Um, I'm also, we'll have, we'll have the words on the screen. But this particular passage um, was written by a guy named David. You may remember David was the, the kid that killed Goliath. David was the king. David um, had a lot. He was you know, the greatest king in the Old Testament. And so David writes this, and it seems like he's just having this time of reflection on, on God. And so he's just kind of speaking some words to his heart about God. So chapter 8, Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. And I'm going to kind of read through it, make a few comments, circle back, make a few more comments, and then apply it. So David starts out, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So all this is is just worship, isn't it? He's just worshiping God. He's like, how incredible, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then he says this, you have set your glory above the heavens. Listen, don't miss this phrase. This is it. This is the ultimate why. So the heavens just means everything that God has created. There's nothing beyond the heavens. That God's glory is over that. So the reality is, is that creation is created for God's glory. You, you are created for God's glory. Like this is why you have breath. It's why you have life. It's why you do everything that you do. Now you may have to, have to ask the question, why is that good for me? I'm glad you asked. And we'll get to that in just a minute. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars, which you have set in place. So, so look at this imagery. And he uses the fingers uh, of, of talking about the fingers of God, the work of God's fingers. Think about the work of your fingers. Like, what does it do? It can text can start your car, can tie your shoes, it can grab a bottle of water. God's fingers took the sun and hung it in the universe. God, God's fingers took the earth and put it in orbit. God, God's fingers spun the Milky Way into existence. This is the greatness of our God. This is the greatness of what David's trying to communicate. He goes on to say, what is man that you were mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor, purpose. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, sheep, oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Oh, Lord, he goes back into worship. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Right, that's one reason we like to worship at the end of our services too. Right? We want to bookend the reading of God's word with worship because that's what it should inspire us to. And so David uses these words, um, uses, tries to make tangible what is, what is, what is untangible. Now, now the thing that if I'm you, one of the things that I would ask on the front end like is, is, is most people who are for their glory, they're very self-centered. You know anybody like that? You know, you know anybody like that's for themselves, right? Don't, don't, don't elbow the person next to you. Um, there, man, it feels like it's always going to be adversarial for you. And because, because God is great and worthy of worship, he's not being self-centered. He's just being honest. 
Because if he is the best of the best, what's going to be good for us is what's best for him. There is no one who is above God. You have a list of the top 100 athletes of all time. God is the whole list. The Fortune 500 companies, God is the whole list, right? There's nobody that's better than God. So what's best for us is to give glory to God. Now, now glory is one of those words that's a little hard to grasp, isn't it? It's kind of ambiguous. It's kind of out there like the word beauty. Like, what does it really mean? And so it's hard to communicate the definition. Sometimes when I think of the word glory, I think of this scene from Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. Maybe you remember the scene where he's holding the two cables. He's about to plug them in. And when he plugs in the two cables and all the lights light up on his house that, first of all, it sunburns his face or light burns his face, it turns red. And then all the electricity around the grid around his house is sucked dry to where all the other lights go off because everything is on his house. You can see his house from space. If you looked at, if you watched the movie, right, you can see his house from space. And then there's this angelic chorus that happens. You remember that? Like there's just this, there's like more than words can communicate. And glory's a little like that. Like it's this brightness, it's this brilliance, it's this splendor. And so how do it, if glory is this word that's ambiguous, what does it look like for me to glorify God? Like what does that look like in my life? And so what we have is glorify is going public. It's a public display because God went public in creation. It's going public with God's greatness and his goodness. Now, here's something really critical for us to understand about God's glory. It's his greatness and his goodness, okay? It's his greatness that he could create the universe. He could create the plants. He could create a human body. He could create a retina, right? Oops, and there goes mine. He could, let me get that back. Stop laughing. No, um, he could create a retina, right? I mean, something that we could never do. This is how great God is, but he's also good because if somebody's great, they could do bad things to us. But because he's good, because it is who he is, because it is intrinsic to his character and his identity, his greatness is actually good for us because he is so good. Amen? Right? He is so good. We see that in the gospel, the story of Jesus coming for us. His greatness and his goodness. So as David kind of paints this picture, this panoramic view of creation and speaking about the heavens and the glory of God and all the things that that we can't even wrap our minds around, here's what David's trying to communicate. He's just trying to communicate this is God's public display. So think about this. What does this look like for us? So I just want you to imagine this for a minute. One of the most beautiful things that God has ever created is a sunrise. Come on. I love the sunrise. Um, Some of you are like, what time does that happen? Because it's already up when I get here. Um, Like the sunrise. And here's what a sunrise is communicating. It is more than just some, uh, some miracle of astronomy. The sunrise communicates to us that God's in charge of a new day. That, that weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That, that when we face dark times, when we face unanswered questions and life didn't go into his plan and the what that we've tried to live out, in the moment what a sunrise tells us is that God is on his throne, that God is worth our attention, God is worth our affection, and that somehow, someway down the road, what God's going to do in the midst of our pain is he's going to make it new. That is what a sunrise tells us. Yeah, come on. What, what about a sunset? Love the sunset. Like the only reason I even think winter's a, a, a real thing is because of the colors that sunsets can become. Because the, the sunset in the winter is so crystal clear. What does a sunset tell us? I associate a sunset with rest. When we see the sunset, we know that God is a God 
of rest. That I don't have to keep trying. I don't have to keep competing. I don't have to keep achieving. The grind is not God. God is God. And a sunset communicates to me. And that God's a God of rest. Jesus promised that he would be our rest. That's who our God is. And that's why he's worthy of showing him glory. And what about a mountain? And when you go, if you go to Colorado and you just stand in front of the mountains of Colorado and you see the majesty and just the, the bigness of the mountains, what it reminds me is God made those and there's nothing in my life bigger than God. Like there's nothing that you're facing this morning, today, that's bigger than God. And if you will shift your attention off of your problems and try to shift your attention and affection on God, there's going to come a day when somehow, some way, he's going to give you the strength through and he's going to restore you, whatever it is that's been stolen. Like this is what happens in creation. And then, and then David references humanity, right? In uh, 8 verse 2, he references uh, your name and all, you have set your glory above the heavens. And then verse 2, David says this, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength. So, 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 so David takes it from way out there to really close. Because guess what all of us have in common? We have all been babies. Did you know this about yourself? Some of you are still babies. Um, uh, but out of the mouth of babies and infants. Now, now, some theologians think that, and some scholars think that, that uh, David is actually talking about the um, conception and birth process, right? The conception and the birth process. And I'll spare you any gory details, but there are some pretty cool things for us in this. Like, like how, many of you, um, how many of you have ever had a baby, right? Like a lot, any of you guys that raise your hand, you're a liar, right? Have you ever heard a guy go, we're having a baby? Dude, no, you're not. That is not happening. You are not gaining weight. You are not going through that pain. You are not having the trouble breathing when you get to 10 months. Come on, right? Yeah. You're welcome. I know. That's hard. So, but think about it. I think about it. So when uh, my wife, I almost say we, my wife has had four kids. My wife's had four kids. And so our kids always came late. Like that, and she gave birth to all of them, but they were all late. They were all late, and so she, and they were all large. Let me just, this is a side note, it means nothing. So, 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 so our first kid, our first kid's eight pounds, 11 ounces at birth, right? Is that right? Do I even remember that right? Close enough. Okay, she's saying close enough. Okay, my second child, I know I got this one right, 11 pounds. 11 pounds, no joke. Like, I'm not kidding, it was not twins, right? 11 pounds. We didn't give birth to that. My wife's a beast, right? 11 pounds. My next two, one was 9-11 and one was 10 pounds even. Like they were large, so they came late. And so, but here's what happens in the birth process that many scholars believe this is what David is referencing. That when the time comes and the time comes for the baby to be born, what happens is there's a hormone released from the baby's brain and it finds its way into the mom's pituitary gland, which screams, it's time. I'm ready to come out. World, watch out. Here I come. And so it begins all of the other chemical and hormonal uh, processes that have to happen. So uh, the, adrenaline, the adrenal glands for the child releases adrenaline so that the, the baby can cope with the trauma of childbirth. Because it is traumatic. Hello? Ladies, it's traumatic. And then you have... The adrenal glands release adrenaline, and then, then the, the mom is able to release a blood transfusion through the umbilical cord at the last minute to give the baby the nutrients and everything it needs to be able to survive um, outside of the mom. 
Now, now, as the baby's being born, if the baby breathes too early, that's a problem because the lungs will fill with fluid and the baby will be damaged. If the baby breathes too late, that's a problem because if the baby breathes too late, that's going to uh, restrict uh, oxygen to the brain and the baby is going to be born with some brain problems. And so at just the right moment, that baby fills his or her lungs with air. And in that moment, there is one sound that everyone is listening for. There is one sound of victory in that moment. There is one sound that you're hoping against hope to hear. And that's a baby crying. And that cry displays the glory of God. That cry all of us had that experience. We have cried, our lungs have filled, and we have displayed the glory of God, even when we didn't know it. And this is what David is talking about here. That, that, that a human, a child that's born an infant, a baby, would display the glory of God. Every breath that you take displays the glory of God. And from your very first breath and even before it, you were created to display the glory of God. And this is what's good for you. Just think of it this way. If God is that great that he could come up with those processes, if God is that amazing that he could sustain life, what better way to give my life to than to glorify the one who gave me life in the first place? This is the glory that we have. Now, now beyond that, it doesn't just stop there at birth. And what David begins to communicate in, in verse 4, David says this, What is man that you are mindful of him? In other words, that you would look to him? That you would even pay attention? What's the son of man that you care for him. That word means pursue him, go after him, run after him the way Jesus came running for us. That's what this verse means, that God loves us so much. This is God's goodness. That he didn't just leave us alone as orphans, that he came for us because he cared about us. Like this is the goodness of God. We have his greatness and we have his goodness. Um, I love the idea that God's goodness is part of his glory. There's many different passages that would speak to God's goodness as being part of his glory. And when we forget God's goodness, that is what led to the fall of man. Like this is, you can't miss this. Because sometimes we say, I believe in God, but you don't believe that he's good. And that's not the kind of faith that's going to get you through. That's not a faith that's strong enough to overcome any what that comes your way. We have to believe, we have to fight for, we have to hold on the fact that God is good. Like it, when, when Adam and Eve were created, so Adam was created first. And so God takes some dirt, whatever, however that looked. And uh, I think he probably spit and made some mud, but I don't know. Um, and so he makes that and he does what? He, he breathes life into Adam. That's how Adam was created. And then he tells Adam and Eve, he says, listen, everything that I've created is yours except that one tree. Everything, plants, birds, uh, uh, animals, everything is created, each other, like everything is created, you, you can have it except that one tree. And so Adam and Eve thought, that's awesome, that's cool, that's good, until they were tempted. And here was the temptation. Did God really say don't eat of that tree? You know what? He's holding out on you. His motives are not good. And this is the beginning of sin. This is the beginning of the fall of man. When we believe that God's not good, listen, we have to hold on to this reality that God's good. Even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it, God is good. This is, uh, this is, this is his glory, is the, is the goodness, not just the greatness of God. Um, you know, when we, lose, when we doubt God, we lose purpose. 
It reminds me of the, the scene from the Chronicles of Narnia, a line in which the wardrobe where, um, if, you, if you've read the book, there's a character named Susan, and Susan finds herself in this foreign land and not really knowing what to, what's going on, and She's talking to a beaver. I know that's weird, but uh, in the movie, it makes sense. So she's talking to this beaver, this creation of God, and she's asking the beaver about the king. And the beaver says, yeah, the king's a lion. And she's like, whoa, lion? Like, aren't we, a, are, aren't we afraid? Like, isn't he safe? And the beaver says, well, of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king. Like, this is our God, that God is good. And God cares for us. God came after us. And God is pursuing us. Like when you create something for your, for your glory, do you create it good or bad? Do you create something that's ugly or do you create something that's beautiful? You create something that's for your glory. Man, in Psalm verses 5 through 8, he says it this way. Here's where we get, here's where we get purpose. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings you have crowned him with glory and honor. I just want to camp out on this word for just a second, this idea of glory. This word glory in the Bible means weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, like weightiness and influence and impact. So what God's done, God has created all of us to bring a weight to a conversation, to bring a weight to a relationship, to bring a weight to a job, to bring influence and impact. This is the way our lives are supposed to feel that when we go somewhere, we know we're carrying impact and influence, which all of us want. And we all want to know that our lives matter, that when we have a conversation or we do something and spend some time and spend some money, what happens in us is the reality that we have had influence. We want to know that. And so this is the way God has created us, that we're created with a weight and an influence that happens. Everything that we do is to glorify God. Everything that we do is to glorify God. That is the, that's the glory within us. It's reflecting the glory that comes from God. You know, in the Protestant Reformation, um, there was this, uh, how many of you guys remember the Protestant Reformation? You remember reading about it? How many Lutherans in the house, by the way, former Lutherans, because you're now a stone creaker? Um, but um, this is your claim to fame, the Protestant Reformation. And so what had happened in the Protestant Reformation was that the, the Catholic Church has decided they were worth more, glo more glory than God. And here's how it turned out. They created this thing called purgatory, which... So, doesn't exist, and I know I probably shouldn't have thrown that out there because I just blew up somebody's worldview <laughs> without explaining it. Um, but they created this thing which was kind of a holding tank for bad people. And that in purgatory, what you could do is you could, you could do a lot of good things that would outweigh all your bad things. And that way you spent less time in purgatory. And they had it calculated to the day. How many good things you needed to do to outweigh your bad things, okay? Achievement-driven me-driven, not God-driven. They realized that you couldn't, eventually, people couldn't do enough good things, so maybe, just maybe, you could buy your way out. So if you couldn't go on a crusade, you know what you could do? You could pay some money, and you could spend less time in this fictional place called purgatory, right? And so what ended up happening is that the church and the pope and the buildings, all of them got the glory that was due only to God. And Martin Luther said, no, 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 we're not doing that. And Martin Luther starts this conversation. And out of the Reformation came this phrase, sola deo gloria. Sola deo gloria, the glory of God alone. This is the meaning of life, the glory of God alone. Everything I do is the glory of God alone. 
everything. It doesn't matter what it is. So in that context, Johann Sebastian Bach, every time he wrote a composition, this is how he signed it. Here's his signature, Johann Sebastian Bach, but here's SDG, for the glory of God alone. So in that time period, what began to happen out of the Reformation is that music began to be for the glory of God alone, and art began to be for the glory of God alone, and politics began to be for the glory of God alone, and theater, and education, and people began to rally their lives around this idea that is for God's glory alone. You want to know what glory you're living for? What is it you're talking about? Right? What is it you spend all your time talking about? What is it that you spend your money on? Right? That will tell you what glory you're living for. Like for some of us, it's kids. Like you have spent your life on your kids. And not to say that they're not expensive, because they are. And not to say they don't require our attention and our affection, but they become everything. And what happens when they grow up or don't turn out the way we planned, the way we wanted, we become untethered and unsatisfied. And we're left searching for the reason why. We live and for our purpose. Listen, your kids aren't your purpose, even though you may be glorifying them right now. They, have, they don't have the ability to carry you through. Some of us, maybe we're glorifying our career. Maybe it's our bank account. Maybe it's our house. Maybe it's our hobbies, our, our cars, or shopping, or experiences and vacations. Like, what is it that we're spending our lives on? This is what we're glorifying. And so what David's saying, there's only one worthy of glory. There's only one who can actually accomplish everything. There's only one who can carry the weight of our purpose, and it's God alone. This is what David's saying. Yeah. Every single day, we glorify God with how we live. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Now, Jesus is teaching this, and he says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others. In other words, live your life before others so they may see your good works glory, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See how this works? Live your life in such a way people will see it and glorify God. Like, it's very simple. How do I bring glory to God in the midst of my circumstances? Listen, let your light shine People will see it. God will be glorified. So listen, when you're at work and that opportunity comes to, to cut corners, what are you going to do? Like when you have this opportunity to pick a new job, do you go with most, what's most lucrative or with what's going to give God the most glory? Like when you're in a relationship with this potential to get engaged and get married, do you go with what you think and if your personality types match up? Or do you look and see what's going what's to bring the most glory to God? I mean, this happens with our attitudes. It happens with our words. You know, recently I was, I was at the gym. And um, you know how when, if you go to the same gym over and over and over again, what happens is you kind of meet the people who are there at the same time. Uh, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. A gym is a place where you go exercise. And <laughs> ouch, yeah, I know, that was bad. Um, hey, this, keep it real right here. And so... And so there was, there's obviously a group of people that I know and see all the time, and we kind of we talk and chat or whatever. And uh, there was a day I was over working out, and someone comes up to talk to me, which is always what you want when you're working out. You want someone just to come get your attention up, right? Um, no, I'm joking. Uh, I love that. So anyway, comes over, and she begins to ask me some questions. And she said, uh, do you have a daughter? I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, I do. But why are you asking? 
And she said, well, you know, when, when we get in a conversation with everybody who's around and, and, and they start talking about women and other girls that are in the gym, you don't talk like they do. And I'm like, well, I have a daughter, I have a wife, I have a mother. And I don't think God wants us to talk that way around other people. I believe that we're to honor all people, no matter gender, no matter anything, no matter what they do, no matter the behavior. I believe, yeah, you can clap. I get this wrong more often than not, if I'm honest, so I have to brag when I don't, right? Um, but but I, I can get this wrong sometimes when it comes to talking about people and thinking about people and judging people, but for some reason that moment I got it right and somebody noticed. And this happens in your life, people are noticing, right? People are noticing how you think, how you talk, how you believe, how you value others. And this is how we bring glory to God. This is what happens. Now, now the reality is, it's not that hard to bring glory to God when I'm at the gym. It's not. It's easy. Somebody asks me a question. You know when it gets difficult? When you have a problem. When life doesn't go as planned. When all the dreams that you had didn't work out. When you dreamed of having children and you can't. When you dreamed of being married and you're not when you dreamed of that career and it didn't work out. Man, when you, when you wake up with a health problem that seems to be debilitating, and it's in those times that we actually see God get the most glory. Man, when you look in the Bible and see the people who brought God the most glory, it was people who were in the difficult times. Man, when we see Job, man, Job who goes through losing his health and losing his family, and he... He praises God in the midst of that, and God gets the most glory. And it's when, it's when Moses, who, who is charged with leading the nation of Israel out of slavery, and he can't even, he doesn't even have the ability to speak right, yet God uses him in his weakness. God gets the most glory. It's, it's like David when, when he doesn't know where to turn, he doesn't know what's going on, that he, that he turns to God. It's like Peter, who gets thrown in prison and gets beaten and comes out rejoicing because he was found worthy to suffer for the name of a God who's glorious. Hey, and it's like Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and now is seated at the right hand of God. Like, this is the God that we serve. Listen, I know that talking about reflecting on God's glory, when you're going through a difficult time, it's, it's not easy. But trust me, if you can find meaning in those moments, purpose in those moments, that'll change your life. It'll give you something to hold on to no matter what the circumstances. You know, some of you have scars. Some of them are visible. Some of them are invisible. And those scars actually tell a story. They tell a story of God's glory. You know, my son, John, who is in a, you know, he, he's 21 now. He has this four-inch scar on his jaw. And that came from an accident he had as a little boy when he almost lost his life. And I could look at that scar and just be mad. And I could be angry. And I could regret it. And I could ask, why did that happen to him? Why did he have to go through that? But that's not what I see when I see that scar. Man, I see life. I see survival. Man, I see thriving. I see God's work in the midst of all that. I see the fact that he's having an impact for the kingdom. So that scar to me, man, that's the story of God's glory, but it's also the story of John's glory.
Listen, I don't know what scar you're carrying. I don't know where you feel like you've lost your purpose because you're not doing the what that you wanted to do. What I want to tell you today is you have a why. If you'll embrace that why, it's the only thing big enough to hold up under the weight of your life. Everything else will leave you unsatisfied. Everything else will leave you asking questions and you'll go from thing to thing to thing. Listen, God is the only one who is capable of standing up under the weight of our glory if we will just reflect his glory to the world. Let's play together. So God, we just come in these moments of purpose and wanting to understand more about our purpose and why you've created us and why we have the personality we have and the, the, the life that we have and the relationships we have and the location that we have, God, that we just wanna understand why. And God, I know that they're to bring you glory every turn of our lives, God. And so today, Lord, as we think through that, we know, we know that the only way to have life is to take that first spiritual breath. And then when we breathe in the life that Jesus has given us, we breathe in the life that you, he died for us to have. And so as we just had this moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, that could be you today. You'll, you're living for a why that's never gonna carry you. It's never gonna be able to provide you the life that you're looking for. It's way too small. And I would love to be able to help you take that first spiritual breath today. Man, just like you took a first breath when you came into the, this world to take that spiritual breath, that today would be that spiritual birthday for you. And the way that we do that is turning our affection towards God and saying, I'm gonna follow you and I'm gonna give you glory with the rest of my life. And I'm just gonna lead you in a prayer, if that's you today, to take that first spiritual breath. Just, just repeat these words after me. Heavenly Father, creator of everything, I've lived for my own glory. I ask you to grant me spiritual life. I trust that Jesus died to forgive me of my sins. And I just breathe in the life of Jesus today. You know, the Bible teaches that when we do that, we immediately have spiritual life. We're new creations. The old has passed, the new has come. And so I would love to be able to help you mark this moment. It's too significant to just pray some words in your heart without expressing them out loud. So the way that we do that here, the way dozens of people have done that here over the last few months is I'm gonna to count to three and I'm just gonna ask you, invite you just to raise your hand. And in raising your hand, what you're doing is you're just taking, you're just acknowledging you took that first spiritual breath today, that you want spiritual life that only Jesus can bring. So on the count of three, let's just raise your hand if that was you. One, two, three. Yes, yes. Yeah, God sees you, man, he knows. He fills your lungs. That's amazing. Hey, can we just celebrate that right now? So God, we just come to you today to forgive us where we try to take our own glory, take matters into our own hands. And we just ask you to grant us just this ability to stay focused on the why that you've given us. And man, in victory and defeat, God, in failure, God, as well as in Man, in, in wins and in our future. We just ask you to give us life and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
You know, as we close out today, this is what we want to do. We want to, we want to close out with a, with a song of worship the same way that David did. Hey, if that was you that raised your hand, I want to invite you to do one thing. We want to help you take the next right step. We have a, a sign right here in the back that says, I raise my hand. If that was you, I'm going to invite you while we're singing, just make your way back. We just want to give you some material, some resources to be able to continue to fulfill and live out the purpose God has called you to. Now, if you would, let's stand together. Let's continue to worship.